We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome to the program Becky Pringle of the NEA. Becky, how are you? Thanks for calling again. I am good today, Neil. It's good to be with you again. Absolutely. This is a big week for teachers, isn't it? National Teacher Appreciation yes, Week. And it's a perfect time, especially because you guys are frontline workers, and we have to really acknowledge that, don't we? We absolutely do. It's been quite incredible what our teachers and all of our educators have done this year, right? No, absolutely. It's it's kind of the thing that you, you say to yourself, I cannot believe um, what they've gone through. I mean, people just don't recognize the fact that once they get back into school after the whole online thing, they teach with masks on. The children are wearing masks. This is a very, very hard thing because you're losing a certain modality right off the bat, right? You're absolutely right, Neil. You know, I taught science for over 30 years, a middle-level learner, so I know about challenges uh, as a teacher, but nothing, nothing could have prepared me for what our teachers and all of our educators went through this year to ensure that our students continued to learn. So I actually visited a school last week, an elementary classroom, a third grade teacher, and oh my goodness, you know, people throw the word hybrid around like, oh, it's just it's just hybrid learning. What I witnessed, I don't know that I could have done it, where this teacher had students joining her virtually, they were online, and students right in front of her. And just like you said, with the masks on and all of that, it was quite extraordinary what this phenomenal educator was doing to keep all of her students engaged, uh, for her to show up in a way that she uh, demonstrated her excitement uh, about teaching and learning uh, and making sure that her students stayed engaged. It was, it was, just extraordinary extraordinary it's absolutely phenomenal what's happening and i mean i just and i don't know if i could do it and I, how about you i mean to be able to i, to, 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 yeah, to, to, I mean we thought we were in difficult situations and different backgrounds i taught mm-hmm. i taught in the inner cities at, at an extra mile school involving uh, in catholic education i also taught in affluent i've taught in just different places i don't even know if you knew that background i mean i was a teacher before and, and then, yeah and and i just i couldn't imagine and like you know when we didn't have air conditioning at times and how it was so hot that was the hardest thing i couldn't I imagine how hot it's going to be in the next month they're wearing masks oh my gosh these I mean, we are not, we talk about frontline workers, but we forget about teachers as frontline workers. And the people who are in a class, and you and I know what that means, <laughs> being in front of students and trying to uh, not only, you know, Neil, you know, we're not only there uh, working to meet their academic needs, but we know they come to our classroom with so many other needs, their social and emotional needs, and in a pandemic. After a year, our students are returning to in-person learning, and they're learn- they have to learn new social skills. Our teachers have to address the losses that, that so many of our students have had. And it, it, it is quite, it, it's quite remarkable what they've done to not only step up themselves, but you know what I saw, Neil, last week was our teachers reaching out to community members to help. 
and each other. So they were working with the custodians and the school, bu- the, the school bus drivers and the paraprofessionals and nurses and counselors. All of them were working together and surrounding our students with this incredible amount of support. And and honestly, Neil, the students looked happy. <laughs> they looked happy. See, and that's the thing. Think about what's going at home. They might not, their their family members might have lost their jobs. There could be right. uh, hunger issues. There could be so many different things that the pandemic has caused. And yet our teachers go to the room every day. And that's the missing component that people forget. Teachers are not just there to teach material. They're, they're the mothers. They're the fathers. They're the guidance counselors. They're everything. We, we had to wear every hat from the nurse yep. you know, to everything. And, and the psychologist, whatever we could do in the classroom, they were our kids. And to deal with what these teachers are doing with, uh, we have to commend them beyond a belief right now, for sure. We do. And you you know, Neil, (laughs) you and I know that our students and other people, they don't necessarily see us as people that have lives too. So these are, these are people, the, the educators, they were struggling to the pandemic just like everyone else. They were parents too. Uh, they had all of those other challenges that we've all faced, but yet they were showing up every day, whether it was virtual or in person, for for their students uh, in ways that they could never have imagined. And you know, the other thing that was real impressive to me this year, Neil, is they they the, the teachers have always um, uh, pushed themselves to continuously learn new strategies, but this year. They were taking more courses. They were connecting with each other so they could learn new tools and techniques, design new ways to, to, to reach their students. I don't know how they found the hours in a day. Honestly, Neil, they were having office hours with parents. It's crazy. And these two, and that's, right? they're not here for a paycheck. They're here to change people's lives, educators. And that's fantastic. Yeah. So the best place we can find information on the NEA and then what are you guys doing special for teachers this week? So I would love for your listeners to go to nea.org slash thank a teacher. Not only will you get uh, so many resources there, but you'll you'll find out some, some fun and in, innovative ways to thank a teacher. Um, please, uh, already I know today, that our hashtag is trending, hashtag thank a teacher. Please continue to do that. Or they could text, celebrate to 487-44, Join us on social media because not only do we want them to thank their own teachers, but we want to just have this chorus of thanks so our teachers know we see them and we love them and we're so grateful for them. Well, appreciate you coming by, and I and and thank you again for your services, teacher, and for all teachers that are teaching right now. So, and what you're doing for the NEA is fantastic, and keep up the great leadership that you provide for teachers. Okay. Thank you so much, Neil. Thank you, Stay Ve- safe. Thank you, Vic. All right, see you later. See you all right, bye bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, 
critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Christopher Hall, how are you, Dr. Hall? Well, I'm doing great. Um, you know, just very busy taking care of patients, and uh, but I'm very excited about the guest that we have today. Oh, I'm excited as well, because you think about it, an NFL athlete that then goes on uh, to a great career after football. We love to hear these stories, because a lot of times, Dr. Hall, the transitioning between life from one thing to another is a challenge, Dr. Hall, isn't it? Well, no doubt. I mean, it, it's definitely a challenge, and, and particularly uh, during this time when really things are changing, how people uh, work, whether it's online or uh, uh, and so what's going on. So, yeah, this is just a very interesting, interesting story. Okay, so introduce our guest, please. Well, no problem. Well, you know, very excited uh, to introduce a uh, former NFL star, um, an individual who has um, uh, basically um, uh, now breasts out into business and uh, who has been a great role model for young people across America. I'd like to welcome to the show, uh, Aiken Adele. Welcome to the show, Aiken. Hey, hey, Doc Hall. Uh, hey, Neil, how are you guys doing? Hey, Aiken. That's doing great. Fantastic. And, you know, oh, great. you think about, like, telling me, how have you dealt with the pandemic since it started? Because it's got to be a challenge. I can't believe we're look, talking 13 months since it, the world changed in so many ways. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it was scary. In the beginning, it, it was scary. You know, nobody had an answer. Um, and if you stayed and, and just sat there and uh, watched TV or, you know, any news feed, any outlet, uh, it was dire straits. And so, you know, it, in the beginning, it was very fearful. A lot of fear mongering and but what we did uh, my my fiance at the time and i you know we sh we try to drown out the noise right uh we sh we stopped watching news we stopped you know reading um articles just about all the pandemic and the, and the virus and you know people the, the the message wasn't consistent enough for us and so we just really just got into ourselves um we uh you know we, um, we're people of faith so we did a lot of prayer. Uh, we studied, went back into the word. Uh, we trusted. Um, um, uh, we found people that we trust that could have consistent message. And honestly, it's been a great thing for our relationship because this pandemic, what it did is either either forced you to uh, strengthen your relationship or expose your relationships. Yes. And, uh, and for us, it really strengthened our relationship, it strengthened our, our family's dynamic. 
Um, my, I, uh, we birthed a daughter. She birthed a daughter. I just watched and uh, <laughs> held her hand. Congratulations. And so my daughter's a pandemic baby. And, you know, outside of that, you know, it's, you know, we, we, we navigate the waters. So there's a theme, my one of our former coaches, uh, Jack Dario, as you say, um, and it's uh, called midstream adjust. And it usually happens when in the middle of a situation, in the middle of a game, and everything is chaotic and you just don't know the answer, you learn to midstream adjust, which means you reset your mind, you relax, and you just allow things to come. And so that's what we did. We midstream adjust and got through it, and uh, we're looking forward to everything opening up. Okay, Dr. Hall, what's your first question for Aiken? Well, I mean, this is already an, uh, an incredible, you know, uh, story that we're learning about Aiken. And so, and I'm sure we'll learn a lot more uh, about the brave and wealthy one. But, you know, Aiken, tell us a little bit about um, kind of where you grew up and a little bit uh, what your family life like and maybe where you went to, to school. College. Yeah, I um so I'm the oldest of four. Uh, my mother raised four of us by herself, by herself. Um, you know, I'm three boys and a girl. Um, the cool thing about my story or our my family story is all three boys played in the NFL. Um, being the oh, oldest, wow. I I felt the need to right. set you know set the tempo and set the pace for our family. I didn't start playing football until I got to um, I was in high school. I, I was 13. Uh, my freshman year in high school, I, I think I weighed 125 pounds, all of, uh, you know, five, six. Uh, I was a late bloomer. And as soon as I, I realized uh, that I could get a scholarship to play football and go to college, and that would pay for my education, my housing, uh, you know, my tuition, and then most importantly, food, I said, okay, this was it. And I started playing football. And, you know, I'm from Dallas, Texas, uh, really urban Texas, where the original uh, Cowboy uh, Stadium uh, was was in. And then, you know, went up to Purdue University. I played, you guys may have heard of him. I played with this guy named Drew Brees. Oh, um, yeah. You know, one or two, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, maybe a yeah. few people know that guy. So Drew and I, Drew was the offensive captain. I was a defensive captain. Um, and, you know, Drew was a great leader which kind of gave us an example of, you know, how to follow, how to lead, uh, and just how to be consistent. You know, you watch Drew on a daily basis. He was out 30 minutes before everybody else. Uh, he was always ahead of the pack. He was always, he was competitive about everything. I don't care if it was darts, Pac-Man, <laughs> eating. Drew was trying to win it all. And, you know, that gave us a great role model to follow. Um, I got lucky, you know, somehow I was, Naturally, I was gifted with some talent, and I got drafted in the third round of the 2002 draft class. Went to the Jacksonville Jaguars, played four years there. Uh, then I got to come home and play for the Cowboys, which was a cool deal. Um, uh, Bill Parcells brought me on and then played a few years in Dallas. He went to Miami to be the uh, VP of football ops and then traded for me, traded for me to go to Miami and played in Miami a few years and I played in uh, in Buffalo my last year in the league. And then after that, you know, I saw a need that um, I knew that in my, probably my last five years playing, I started investing, got into business. I started understand, trying to understand some finance and financial literacy and, and try to figure out how to um, basically not lose all of my money, uh, right. how to, how to grow, how to set a legacy up. And after, you know, I, I chose to walk away from the game, I went to grad school. 
I figured that all my peers in undergrad from the time I got drafted and went to the league, they all went to the workforce and they had a 10 right. year, you know, a 10 year head start. And so I went to grad school to narrow that gap um, from grad school, uh, which I went to George Washington University in DC. From there, I uh, moved up to New York and uh, did an intern for a private equity company. Uh, and then I started my own private equity company with my business partners back then. And I focus on the private equity side. They focus on the wealth management side. And for the last six, seven years, you know, that, that's what I was doing. And recently, I had an insurance company uh, reach out to me and ask me to be part of their uh, executive team and, and, and to help them grow and help them lead. And so I, I made that transition uh, into World Insurance. Uh, that's the name of the company. Uh, my division is Saposnik Insurance out in Miami, Florida. And that's what I'm into now. It's uh, focuses employee benefits. Um, um, if you think about um, 401k, employee benefits, voluntary um, insurance, that's my focus uh, now. So it's been a, it's been a ride. Um, you know, just transitioning. Yeah, this is a great story so far. I got to take you back. And then Dr. Hall's another question. I love the, that summary. Wow. A journey. Playing with Drew Brees, did you learn certain things from Drew? Did you know that Drew was going to be such a great leader at that point in time? Oh, hands down, hands down. Uh, there was no doubt. Uh, physically, you look at him, um, he doesn't pose any threat. You know, he doesn't make you afraid. Uh, but his his work ethic on a daily basis, um, he never gave up. Uh, like I said, he was one of those guys I mean, we would have practice at, you know, two o'clock. Drew's out there at 1.30, warming up, throwing. Um, our, our indoor facility had this net and it had these dots on these nets. And Drew every day was set up five yards and would try to hit these dots from five yards, from 10 yards, from 15, 20, all the way down to 60. Uh, he was so passionate about the game and he became such a student of the game that you didn't have a choice. I mean, in our time there, we won the Big Ten. We went to a bowl game every year. We played in the Rose Bowl. Um, so you either, you know, you either would follow or you got left behind. And, you know, that, that was the example and the legacy that he left there. And wow. you can see, obviously, continued on into the league. Exactly. That was when Purdue was really, really good, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're basically. trying to get him back. It'll happen. All right, uh, Dr. Hall, what question do you have for Aiken next? Well, I mean, it's just an incredible story. And he mentions a lot of important things, you know, uh, that, you know, uh, basically a passion, uh, hard work, uh, consistency. And, you know, that's what I was referring to his name. Uh, you know, Ken, I, I think in the, 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 the Yoruba language means brave and wealthy, wealthy one. So, but anyway, tell us a little bit about um, just uh, uh, making that transition. You said going to graduate school at George Washington University, which is a great school. I mean, uh, you know, that you kind of like shifted gears and you had to uh, be disciplined. So, you know, how hard, how important is it for say, even young people today to be disciplined uh, to, to finish a goal or what they want to do, particularly in school? Yeah, you know, I mean, Doc, I mean, you can obviously relate to this. Um, but there has to be something in life that you want to pursue and you're willing to dive into. Yes. Um, and, and no matter what it is, no matter what the outcome is, but you're willing to give yourself to. And I did that with football, right? Um, I poured everything. I had people back at home. I, I grew up humble beginnings. I mean, 
we were so poor, we couldn't afford the, the O and, and poor. Um, like we were at to the point where we, me and my brothers, we slept on the mattress that was on the floor in one room, oh um, you, you know? So you come from that by, background right. and you understand that if you don't do something, if you don't take control of your life, you know, it, you know other people were gonna control your life. And so that's what I did. And I used all those um, um, lessons from growing up and all that work that I, I gave myself to the ball, I thought that, okay, if I can do that and make it to the highest point of, 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 of a sport, that I can do the same with whatever other career I chose. And so that was what that transition was. I said, okay, if I'm gonna make this transition into life and I call it like civilian life, exactly. is to, to pull myself into it. And that's what I did. I said, okay, one, I need, I need education. I need to get educated. I need to uh, reduce the gap between my peers that went into the workforce and for myself when I went into play a professional uh, sports. And the education aspect helped me out a lot. It, it helped me and it created a, a, a network for me of people that I could reach out to. And then, you know, I, I went and uh, worked for a private record, uh, a wealth management company. And in doing that, I started to understand the nuance of the industry. Now I'm still, I was still green. I was still trying to learn it, but I, exactly. I could start to understand the terminologies and I could, un, I could speak the language. And there were a lot of times, guys, let me tell you, I sat in rooms where I was probably the dumbest person in that room, right? Wow. But, you, but the more times you show up, the more times you get up and the more times you show up, all of a sudden, things start to click, things start to make sense. People start to gravitate towards you because they see that you're consistent. They see that you're passionate and they see that you want to learn. And those are the things that you, if you always bring that to the table, I would say nine, ten, nine out of 10 times, people will give you a shot. Exactly. And I think what the hardest thing you did is the kind of thing I did. I mean, I didn't play at the highest level that you did in professional. I was a professional wrestler in the minor leagues. I didn't play at the highest level, but I decided after to quit when I was very young. Uh, I mean, I was in minor leagues of pro wrestling, 1999, Bremen, Germany, hit the peak where I got to wrestle overseas, where you kind of are next step to the WWE. It just didn't feel like I was where I wanted to be. And I was very young at that point, still only like 27, 28. And I just said, okay, I'm going to go back and become a teacher. So I had to do the same kind of humble beginning in a way of just kind of a lot. Wow. I'm used to being in the spotlight. I'm used to being the star. I'm used to being the guy that always people see I'm a legitimate 610. Now I'm going to go back, sit in a classroom and our brain is what matters now. It's not in our work ethic. It's not what we attained as athletes. I was a college basketball player, D3. You know, I'm just used to that. But now, oh, all that's gone away. Now it's professional life, which kind of transitioned to me to an entrepreneur today, where I think entrepreneurs are the best bet for an athlete in a lot of ways, sometimes working for people, but really being in control of leading because we're leaders. But when we go to the mm -hmm. classroom, we're students, not leaders anymore. And it's a challenge, especially if it's a different activity. So did you have that same kind of thing? I mean, I, I had a 4.0 in grad school, so I did it really well in grad school, but I'm just saying it still was hard to, after being in school and such a break in school to go back at the age, kind of almost probably we went back to the age at the same time to school. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well said. You know, it's exactly the same way for me. You know, you, I really had to humble myself because like you said, if you're used to being the man and you used to people, not really the man like you, but that, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you were, don't, don't downplay. Uh, you know, you really do have to humble yourself. 
Um, but you know, but that that, that was that was a thing though. You know, Neil is that you said it well. You know, when you just say as far as the the tangibles that you bring to the table as a former athlete, right? And you look at the us going into I did the entrepreneurial thing, and that's what not that I, I, I was successful at it or I had great momentum, but I got to a place where I felt stuck, and I got to a place where. I always need to, I always need to grow and I always continue to elevate. Right. Um, one of my things that I think people recognize in me, you know, that I was a hard worker and I was, I'm a good, I'm a good leader. I would say that, but there are certain things in the business world that I felt that I lacked. And so again, and where I am transitioning to now into the insurance business is one of those things that I did 10 years ago where I had to humble myself recognize the things that I lack and then try to find a way to absorb it or to gain that knowledge. And so, yeah, I chose, I purposely, and things, you know, just, I'm a man of faith. So for some reason, I do believe that things work out the way they're supposed to work out. And the timing of uh, this group reaching out to me and where my mindset was uh, at the time was perfect. It lined up to where I was looking to grow somewhere else and, and you'll learn the, being in an and, organization and to grow. And, and yeah. the, they reached out to me. I saw an opportunity where they recognized my value as being a former athlete, as going into a space where I knew absolutely nothing about and, and, and going in and learning and then and making some headways in there. And they said, OK, this is a guy that knows how to adapt. This is a guy that knows how to shape himself. And, and come in and evolve and add value in, in some aspects. And that's what I'm doing now. Um, one of the reasons, and I'll say this real quick, that I did choose to go with this group is because they have a, they have a strong leader uh, that I believe that I can learn from. Rachel Sopoznik. Yes. Um, you know, if you look, if you Google her, she started her business 34 years ago. Uh, she was folding sheets and pillows in a, in a, um, at a department store transition and start this, this business and watching and doing my due diligence on her and seeing her leadership style and the things that she's done for her business. Uh, there's somebody, I knew that that was somebody that I could gain a lot of knowledge from and learn from. And wherever it, it, that transitions to, I know that I'll be better off exactly. for whatever and, God takes me after that. And see, and see, that's the thing I ended up having to leave my full-time business to take a job. Then I've left my full-time business, my full-time job again to take the business. But I learned in three years, so many things that I take now to running an organization or my company that I did not have that knowledge base three years ago to be able to handle what I'm handling today by being in the intertwines of being in a corporate world and seeing and learning and living in that corporate world, Dr. Hall. So let's go to the next question for him, but we have a lot of similarities for sure. We're going to have yeah. to definitely uh, talk offline about those similarities. All right, Dr. Hall, next question. Uh, no problem, no problem. And see, and that's the that's the fabric of of of, of America, really. You know, uh, you know, uh, people as a kid. You know, the humbleness he talks about, where he comes from. You know, hey, we had to sleep on the floor on a mattress, uh, but you know, he's very humble. He leaves out things about himself being a scholar athlete. You know, at Purdue. Uh, you know, they say things like, "Well, I was the dumbest guy in the room," and and what they're saying is, "Hey, I was the the most listening guy in the room, and I wasn't talking." So it's very incredible. So now, tell us a little bit about um, the the Dream uh, Builders Foundation. You know, you've gotten involved in in those. Uh, Tough uh, Tell us about that and uh, how important is that for uh, motivating young people? 
Yeah, so this is to my core who I am is giving back and being a servant. Uh, that's one of the things that I do naturally. And I, I know that that's my calling. In 2006, I started a foundation. I, I think I just came to Dallas at the time playing for the Cowboys, but I started a foundation called Aiken's Path. And what I did at the time, I mentored high school students. I would pick five high school students and I would mentor them and I'll take them, we'd do community activities and then I'll take them out you know, once a month. And then I transitioned that from Aiken's path into what we now call the Dream Builders in 2010, 2011. What I saw was I saw a need. I saw that my teammates and my colleagues and my friends around me also wanted to be involved in the community and also wanted to start their own foundations, but I had problems either having, um, you know, uh, having people set it up for them or they were not as effective as they would like. So I used my foundation as an umbrella to make them partners, and we like to call them captains um, of our foundation, and where it's all kids and youth initiatives. So what we focus on is kids and youth, uh, our three, three of our main programs, education, extracurricular activities, and nutrition. And we model a lot of our partnerships uh, with the corporate world and with our captains based around those three uh, initiatives. Um, you know, we, we're, we're in, we've been in 32, um, NFL cities. Uh, we've partnered with uh, NBA players, MLB players. We've raised and donated over $4 million in the Fantastic. last uh, 10 years. Uh, so it's something that we're passionate about. And um, Supposit and World Insurance, who I'm with now, is also partnering with us to also continue to do a lot of the work that we're doing because they see the value add in that. So that's tremendous work you're doing in the community where you're coming through that. Dr. Hall's looking to get his foundation running COVID kind of took a backseat and wanted to work with, we were working a lot, thinking, looking at, looking at a lot of the NFL athletes and other people and partner with his foundation. So he's really wants to work with kids, but partner with organizations like your own. So we'll definitely have to look at that connectivity at one point in time. All right. So Dr. Hall, go ahead and uh, summarize Aiken for us guys. All right. Go ahead, Dr. Hall. No pressure. He can, he's good at summarizing. Watch. Uh, no problem. No problem. I mean, this is, this is pretty much, um, I would say a story out of the playbook of America of how, uh, you know, to come from a humble background to focus and to show others how, 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 how to do it and how to be motivational. Um, and so that's what he's done. Um, you know, um, he was, uh, he's been very disciplined, very consistent, made choices, that, that, you know, would show other people, hey, this is the way you do it. And then he's gotten back a lot, but he's given a lot. And so those things of passion, um, so, you know, uh, finding someone like Drew Brees, finding a leader, learning from them, okay? And then using your talents to teach other people, to give back to from communities, foundations. Wow. Uh, I mean, during this time where we're emerging from COVID, this is, the, this is really the message that we need here in America. So, wow, very excited that you came on the show today. And, uh, wish you all the best too in the future. Well, thank you, thank you, Doctor Hall. Good, awesome. good summary. I, I appreciate the time. I, I know you could be doing anything right now, and and I know you've been saving lives. So I appreciate you taking the time and just having me. And you know, that's speaking. Yeah, he wrote a book, yes, Ward of the Court, uh, about he, how he was uh, Ward of the Court to be a successful doctor and author and an entrepreneur. So fantastic uh, journey Dr. Hall's had. So Aiken, is there a place we can connect with you? Best place? Where can we go for people to check you out? 
yes, um, I'm, I'm getting engaged in more active on social media. So the Aiken Project on Instagram, um, Twitter, uh, it's my name. You can find me on there. Uh, usually those are the two best places. Um, I have some of the other ones. I'm still learning to navigate those, but especially Instagram and Twitter. Hey, we need to talk. Uh, the, trust me, I, uh, I do that stuff. And I don't know if you've jumped on Clubhouse yet. If you have an iPhone. Yes, yes. Are you I, on Clubhouse? I Make sure you follow I am. Clubhouse. I, am. I, have get, I have to get engaged in it, though. Well, I'm then, I'd like to talk to someone else about that. I'm going to take the initiative to reach back out to you on that end. So just make sure you go ahead and, and text me. But anyone has can have my number. It's 412-523-0289. But I'll send it to the public, your publicist to let them know. You know, I definitely want to stay have a conversation offline. But I can put it out there, my phone number. Let's take some action today. But, Chris, again, awesome show. Great guest. And we'll talk soon, okay? All right. All right, guys. guys. Okay. All right. That was the Dr. Christopher Hall Show, guys. Take care. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show special edition as we continue to talk with John Smith. First, we talked about searching for integrity. We had a great conversation all the way up to writing his book. And now we're going to talk about embracing the abyss. The book you wrote, John, we talked about that stretch of what's happened and your goal now to take it further into the abyss as everyone has the abyss. But what is our topic for today that we're going to discuss? Well, I would think that we should uh, allow me to do the introduction. Okay, perfect. My name really is John Smith. Three days from now, I will stand in federal court before U.S. District Judge Robert Maloney and be sentenced on a charge of fraud for my involvement as a high-ranking officer of Vernon Savings and Loan. I want to share with you how this happened to me so that you might remember, should it come close to happening to you, perish the thought. In some respects, as I look back, I still don't believe it, but I live with it every day. I don't have any other choice. How could I have been so stupid? How could I have not seen it coming? This is not a story about your small town banker that dips into the cash drawer every now and then for himself or his girlfriend. It's not a story about the guy who worked in the back room and had never been promoted. The guy who was mad at his boss and mad at the world who thought he deserved a self reward by socking away a little cash every chance he got. Savings and loans at the beginning of the 1980s were struggling industry. They were not the same as banks because they were primarily limited to making loans for home ownership. The model worked by offering low interest rates on longer term mortgages. Prospective homeowners who couldn't afford a loan from a regular bank could come to an SNL and get a cheaper mortgage. But by the 1980s, 
the financial playing field was changing. Interest rates had risen to double digits, meaning SNLs had to pay depositors more for their funds. This left SNLs in an impossible situation of paying double digit on deposits while offering only single digits on home loans. Federal regulators were reaching, searching for solution to this problem. They began looking at the real estate entrepreneurs. The real estate industry in Texas had been successful. After all, real estate developers with large balance sheets appeared to know what they were doing and they had significant experience with real estate loans. The regulator's theory was that if these real estate entrepreneurs were able to borrow money, they ought to be able to lend money. Right. So the federal regulations for savings and loans were changed to allow ownership of SNLs by real estate developers and entrepreneurs after their commissioners reviewed, state commissioners reviewed and approved the transaction. This loosening of the reins or deregulation brought the entrepreneurs aboard and it worked for a while. But within two to three years, the plan went awry, primarily because of greed leading to fraud. The regulator's decision to deregulate would ultimately produce a moral hazard. That's known what's known as a zombie financial institutions. There was stupidity, yes, on my two, part two, but also a lack of awareness and consciousness, snuffed out by a plethora of pretense and deluge of denial. I consider myself a regular guy. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, to God-loving parents from the country, in Tennessee and Kentucky. I grew up in Oklahoma City and then moved when I was a high school sophomore to Dallas. In 65, the summer before my senior year, my friend's dad got us jobs at the Texas School Book Depository Warehouse. In case you don't remember, in 1963, in November, JFK was shot by Lee Harvey Oswald from a sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository Office Building. Our work in the warehouse consisted of packing boxes of textbooks to be sent to various school districts across Texas. One day I was given the task of delivering an envelope to an office in the Texas School Book Depository Building where the shooting had occurred. Oh my gosh. After delivering the item, I thought I might have a look around and took the freight elevator upstairs to the sixth floor. There were no barriers or cautions or warnings that would have prevented me from exploring, so I proceeded to the corner of the large room to the window where Lee Harvey Oswald sat and waited. I must say it was a bit spooky. I'm getting chills now. <laughs> from the looks I am too. I'm absolutely <laughs> as well too. I didn't know that part of that story. Wow. From the looks of it, that corner of the room was left the way it was found. I remember seeing chicken bones and assumed that Lee Harvey Oswald had had something to eat while waiting on JFK's limousine to pass by. In front of the window was a desk that he probably used to aim his rifle. For some fun, I decided to put a chair on top of the desk, discovering a round three foot long piece of wood I picked it up and put it across my lap as I sat in the chair on top of the desk in front of the windows. There were tourists outside on the grassy knoll, and it wasn't but a few minutes before I was noticed by a crowd gathering below. As the crowd began to grow, many of them started pointing towards me. I realized I needed to get my ass out of there. Without delay, I was in the elevator having a downward ride, goosebumps, goosebumps covering both my arms. 
when I got back yeah. to the warehouse, my friends asked me, how did it went? I told them about the chair on the desk. They got a kick out of that, and I guess I did too. When I graduated from high school, I assumed I knew everything that was known to manhood about college. I had finished with the school book depository, now working 50 hours a week at Collins Radio, a large manufacturer of electronic devices for the Vietnam War. I knew then that the most important thing to me was the 66 GTO convertible that I had. So I decided that I was going to go to college, get out and within the least amount of trouble. My first semester, I signed up for 21 hours of classes plus a lab, but trying carrying that on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Exactly. I could continue working and making money. I think I made it past Halloween, but I'm not sure. That time of my life was somewhat of a blur as I lived it. The one thing I do know is that I dropped out of college in the fall of 1966, only a few months from starting. I got to work more hours at Collins Radio. The draft lottery was in effect and I probably watched too many John Wayne movies because even though I enjoyed working at Collins Radio, I volunteered to go into the army. I wanted to go to Vietnam and I did. I am a decorated veteran of Vietnam. When I returned to the States after Nam, I became a teacher in the army. <laughs> I smile when I write that because what I mean by teacher is that I was a drill sergeant. Yeah. You know, the soldiers with the Smokey the Bear hats. Hey, don't knock it. I was the undergraduate of my drill sergeant school. After my discharge from the Army, I returned to Denton, Texas, wanting another chance at college. I didn't know what I wanted to study, but I knew I wanted a college degree. I married my first wife only three days after departing the Army, and we had twin sons born to us during the first fall semester. The GI Bill and three or four part-time jobs supported this. I never knew how much $210 a month from the GI Bill was until then. Now it's almost as though I'm reliving the prospect of poverty again. Now much is left over these days after the legal fees are paid. When I was a college student my second go-round, I became the Attorney General of the Student Government Association. I was the guy with the interpreted the rules and the matters of law. I was the one with a big paddle that spent meetings at the back of the room with the sergeant of arms. In my senior year, I still hadn't chosen a major. I had completed almost all hours necessary in the school of business, but chosen a specific major I hadn't done. The time had come, I put it off no longer. I recall going around to the different departmental offices, stopping in to visit and asking them why I should choose their department for my major. One Saturday afternoon, I walked into the Department of Accounting office and met a man named Herschel Anderson. I didn't know him from Adam, but I soon found out that Dr. Herschel Anderson was a man of quick wit with a large desire to help others. I don't know how he did it so early in the morning, but he had one of those great big cigars in his mouth. He could talk at the same time too. He asked if I had taken accounting yet, and I answered yes. Both accounting one and accounting two, I said yes. He said, what were your grades? I said, I had A's. He said, both one and two? I said, yes. He paused, his head uh -huh. dropped as he looked through the floor. I was somewhat startled when all of a sudden he looked at me with utter frustration. 
in confusion, like I was crazy. He said, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you, boy? Accounting is your ticket to the big show. You can't do anything better than accounting. You can't make as, a, as a, A's in accounting and walk away from it. His voice grew louder and louder. This is the bus you want to be on, the bus you want to be on. If you think all that stuff the other departments offer, you know they're nuts. They get part-time jobs. You're done with those other departments. In that span of 10 minutes or so, Herschel made his message clear to me. If you do this, then from this, you can do anything else. You can do all of the other stuff you want to. If you choose that other stuff, you're going to have a tough time with this road if you change your mind. Herschel was candid and his message poured out from his heart straight into mine. I still carry Herschel's OB. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Keep it on my desk. Of course, I'm glad now for what he said. I believed him then and I believe it now. I was one lucky guy to have stumbled into Dr. Anderson that Saturday morning, big cigar and all. I maintained a 4.0 GPA and graduated magna cum laude with a degree in accounting. I got into an argument with the people in the administration about why I shouldn't have been classified summa cum laude, the higher honor for my 4.0. They reminded me of my four deadly withdrawal <laughs> failings I had <laughs> my first time in college. Surprised, I said, oh, those still count? Well, shut my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> when the recruiters came to campus, I interviewed and received offers of employment, but I accepted the one that I thought would be able to provide the best post-college education. I chose Offer Moroni and Company, the largest regional public accounting firm in the West, Southwest. I spent five years at Edmund Co. Right. and feel fortunate that I got the education I wanted. With them, I was able to work in a variety of clients and a variety of businesses, large and small. I dealt with audits, I types, of, types of taxation, including individual, corporate, state planning projections. I also involved with the computer services department, also known as management information services. It was too good to be true. I believed I was being prepared for something more, something important possibly a career requiring collective experience for advancement and success. For most of my life, when my head was on right, my intuition provided a flow of information that kept challenging what I thought I could be and what I ultimately would be. My mindset was usually geared for success and I spent most of my waking hours and minutes analyzing how these thoughts become reality. I enjoyed public accounting. There was a great deal of camaraderie, respect for each other, and good friendship. I received the professional education I sought. I realized that your college education is your foundation. The critical part of learning takes place out there in the real world, but you can't get there unless you go through basic training in college. Funny how that works. After five years of public accounting, I committed the ultimate sin. I went to work for a client for bigger money. I learned a lot close about closely owned family businesses. Namely, if you find yourself on the wrong side of the family that controls the business, you're going to be history sooner than later. After working five straight years in public accounting, in the ensuing two years, I had four jobs. Finally, I found a job with Dandi, a startup construction development firm. I felt lucky. 
Gandhi had plans to build condos in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Louisiana and Florida. I recall thinking that this was a company where things were going to be done right. I worked hard. I'd been given new opportunity and something I knew about, which was real estate with taxation, partnerships, and corporate reporting. These are the things that I had cut my teeth on in public accounting. I was counting on taking a large step toward proving my capabilities. I felt confident that I could do this, even though uncertainty often interrupted my thought process of real-world education. But the real lessons I learned weren't the ones I was expecting. Those came only through the, the abyss. The abyss, okay. being part of your soul, the abyss is not something you recognize right away. It's part of you that you don't come in touch with very often. It seems unreachable at first until you feel its presence and know it's you. It resides in the area inside you that's parked a ways away in a safe place, resting under a do not disturb sign. This is your own sacred ground for times when you reach the point where you can no longer answer to yourself, when you've exhausted all efforts at rationalization. This is the time when you need something deep within, something strong to support yourself. If the place where you engage in this ultimate struggle for truth, where you're aching for lasting answer. Often in an attempt to expedite things, you may be able to disguise the truth, the real answer, by fooling yourself with a quick fleeting fix. You do this because you are trying to protect the image of you, the one you have of yourself. You're trying to protect your self image, the unsustained, the unstained yes. version of yourself that you still covet and caress. If you have not recently traveled into and through your soul for a visit, know that the abyss as gatekeeper may not notice you at first. Your identity with and responded to karma at the abyss. Your depth and breadth of consciousness increases, leading to a greater awareness that protects you. Sincerely bestow the breath from deep within you. Grasp the abyss. Embrace it and hold on for dear life. Such a powerful, powerful thing. How once you can find your abyss and we're going to have other people find that abyss as well in different sayings and when you release a series of books soon but we'll continue to go through embracing the abyss what do we expect next episode what are we going to cover well the next episode would be the uh the prologue which which is just a page or two okay and then i can ask i can ask questions based on the prologue okay and whatever we've learned so far okay uh, the prologue's a story. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. Okay. So we can connect with you all places, uh, searching for abyss.com, searching for integrity.com. Mm-hmm. Radio show is available at searching for integrity.com. You have a lot of great guests. You're always looking for good guests, right, John? Always yeah. top guests, uh, top guests. And we appreciate it. And I'm glad you're able to make a transition. We all go through transitions in life, the challenge that you did before, but another transition in your life. And it's exciting when these transition because once it's over, you're ready to begin again. So I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right, John. Okay, guys, that was Searching for Integrity segment, uh, Embracing the Abyss for, with John Smith on the Neil Haley Show. Take care.